and welcome back for a new episode of the Two Point Report, the Digital Electronic World Report, which points out the obvious duality between living in a modern world of digitality and tangible existence. But particularly today's episode is going to have two important segments. And these two important segments are going to talk about, one, the welcoming back of the astronauts that recently returned from outer space. The crew of four members recently landed safely. And we'll talk about what that means these days and how it's becoming everyday knowledge that travel seemingly safer and safer. And we'll talk about that. And then the second point will be how exploring the outer spaces of Earth is much more than just sending a rocket up into space. It also has a lot to do with how the various contraptions, spaceships, satellites, etc., are finding themselves spatially maneuvering in the spatiality of outer space. Now, if it sounds as if though I'm using a lot of interesting words, I'll talk about why I did that in that particular segment. But we'll begin when we return in a moment. Well, hello and welcome back to the Digital Electronic World Point Report. And when I began this episode, which is going to focus on the marvels of landing back on Earth after having traveled to the outer ethos of the atmosphere beyond. And what that means, and how it truly draws so much curiosity out of people who have not been to outer space. Let's begin. This morning, four astronauts landed in the Gulf of Mexico near Florida. They landed having arrived from the International Space Station in what is considered to have been a round-trip flight concluded that began on the resilience. Why is this so significantly different than any of the other flights that have gone to the International Space Station and returned? It is different because this is the first that has gone to outer space and returned successfully as part of a public-private partnership between the U.S. government and SpaceX. In November of 2020, Resilience left for outer space. And having returned last night, it returns with a great deal of success on many levels. Obviously, because 
Travel in space is significantly more complex than one could possibly imagine, particularly those of us who have not been in space. We simply can't imagine what it's like. We can't actually say exactly what it is like, having not been there ourselves. But the trueness of the situation is that the more and more frequent these flights become to outer space, people are seemingly feeling more and more comfortable with the concept of traveling to space. And this is why it is so important to understand why this is so successfully important to discuss. In the previous few months, there has been so much conversation about the Perseverance rover, which has been on Mars taking pictures and understanding the landscape in Mars, which is important for research purposes. However, also let's understand that because of the conversation about ingenuity and how ingenuity is the first drone to have been able to take flight in Mars and be able to take pictures in crevasses and different areas that were harder to reach than would have been the Perseverance itself, it is important to say that there have been many additional advances when it comes to actually being in outer space. And because so many more of us have been home, being able to look at what is out there that is of nuance, that is unique, and that is different than exactly what I would be experiencing every day. Something such as a conversation about the Perseverance rover and the Ingenuity drone are such unique conversations that it bodes the question, at what point in time will that become so everyday that we will think, oh, yes, absolutely. It's just as if it was an everyday occurrence. Well, we may not be there yet because it certainly is still of intriguing Curiosity. But what can be said is the following. The successes over the last 20 years to arrive and participate in the international experiments and successes and results of the experiments and return of the data because of those experiments on the International Space Station have been productive to the point that one can say it is truly an exemplary example of how countries on Earth can truly work together towards solutions in the universe. And the secondary point to be made is what then happens the more popular such travel becomes, let me say that again, what then happens when such travel becomes so popular to such things as what we think of as so necessary on earth? Passports, driver's licenses. Things that allow us to prove that we can actually go to these locations. What happens to this particular form of responsibility when it then transfers over to international universality? 
Do we require a global passport? Do we require a universal passport? Do we require proof that we are somehow able to exist in the ethos of the universe because we somehow exist on the ethos of this planet? How do we present our existence? Or do we just exist in the capsule upon which we are living within the station with which we are living during the amount of time with which we are in it? What are such credentials that exist? And if those questions aren't being asked, then at some point they will need to be asked because some of the conversations have already existed over the years, such as what is it to be a global citizen? Is it just a concept or is it truly something that someone says, no, I actually, I am a member of global society in the form of citizenry globality. And I don't say that in an exaggerated way. I say that in a way that there will be a point where if someone is in the outer ethos of the universe, they may no longer actually just say they are from one of the states of the United States. They may actually claim to belong to the ethos of the universe if they were indeed born in the ethos of the universe. And so when that occurs, we have to actually be cognizant of the fact that what would that person be a citizen of? The universe? The ethos of the outer ethos of the planet? What would it be called? Now, you may be thinking that, oh, my questions are preposterous. How could this possibly even ever occur? But let's be realistic. Eventually, perhaps even a few generations forward, there will be, by virtue of so many people wanting to travel to space and having the ability to travel to space through private travel, they will be inhabiting portions of outer space that have not been inhabited before. And as a result, there will be new generations born in the ethos of the universe. And as a result of that, how are they then going to belong to the ethos of the universe in relation to the ethos of the earth? And in what sense of responsibility or tangible existence will they be or will they be? Ask yourself for a moment. Will there be any tether to Earth at that point? If someone has at some point been born on a different planet, but their parents were born on Earth, what citizenry would they then claim? And who would be responsible for even accepting or denying that citizenry? Now, this here conversation does sound a little bit either Star Trek-y or perhaps even Star Wars, a little bit Jedi. I'm not playing any Jedi mind tricks. No, I'm certainly asking a critical question because this is actually plausible and should be thought of before it actually occurs. Because by the time 
new populations exist in the universe that had generations existing on Earth. If there is no tangible plan on what the citizenry would be for said generations, it would be the resulting discontinuity of existence on Earth. And there does need to be some continuity. So that does have to be understood to some depth. Ponder that for a moment, and I'll return in a moment with some more important questions that do need to be pondered. degrees where I am. A little bit breezy, but not too much. The leaves sway just slightly. In the morning dawn, and it's interesting that yesterday and the day before, there was much more wind to be had. It made quite a difference in that the pollen count was so out there, noticeably out why is that relevant? I've been wondering, now that the astronauts are well acclimated back to Earth, how long does it take to reacclimate to Earth? Clearly, they must be joyful to have returned safely. What were the first celebrations that they attended? Or have they? Or will they? Still yet attend? The reason that's relevant is you ask yourself for a moment when you've been gone from this planetary existence for as long as you have and then you return, what becomes then the priority? And of course, beside the obvious of obviously adjusting back to gravity in a different sense, but uh, I mean more of what becomes the priority in terms of now getting back to life on Earth. And why this is relevant is must really think for a moment. The, the weather enters the day and exits the night in a way that we see and don't see. Most of us just walk through our day, drive through our day, fly through our day, and don't notice the weather. We let the weather be the weather, whether we pay attention to it or not. But the weather seemingly pays attention to us because what we do and how we function in our everyday does directly affect the weather. And so it is actually quite relatively important to understand what is around us 
Because as I mentioned the, the other day when there was a bit more wind that was uh, all over the place and just uh, moving and swaying the leaves about from tree to tree, I noticed the difference right away because the pollen starts to fall off of the trees and as it falls off of the trees it lands in the air and open windows allow a lot of that pollen to come right on in. And I feel it. I start sneezing. And then all of a sudden, it's gone. So it's important. Pollen is important because to pollinate something allows it to continue to grow or allows flowers to flower or allows fruit trees to blossom with fruit. But the point that I'm making is everything has its purpose. Everything has its purpose. And in that moment that everything has its purpose, you realize... Even the fact of the matter of the pollen shifting off of the leaves and flying into the air is so important because it's almost as if though nature is helping out our miniature pollinators, our honeybees, our regular bees, and our hummingbirds and our butterflies who also help in the pollinating process. And so it's so interesting that nature has its way of working together in symphony melodiously and then in a few months what you have are the new blossoms of flowers, the new seedlings of trees that suddenly popped up somewhere where there had not been a tree there before. Well, there had not been a tree, but somehow... The wind brought nature with it. And so it's quite the marvel. Marvelous it is. To notice the difference between just existing and noticing existence. And that's all for now in this additional segment of Welcome Back to Earth.